Hi, Michael. Russ Bray here. Now, I'd like to congratulate you on 180 Sporting Wood Podcast. What a fantastic achievement. Brilliant. Well done, buddy. Keep it going. Very, very impressed. Massive Whitlock fan. Uh, um, so you should be. And you are also Queensland of Darts. You get it. I'll tell you what, buddy. Hopefully I can get to see you when I'm out there next month. Look after yourself. Have a great time. And again, congratulations. Well done. Have it, ladies and gentlemen, the man, the myth, the legend, Ross Bray, Mr. 180, uh, for the aforementioned uh, private uh, personal message, I should say, to Michael Vilkins, congratulating him on 180 episodes, despite the fact that Michael is not on the show and we're giving it to you on episode 181. Um, but apparently he is the Queensland of darts. Uh, he gets it. So uh, Russ definitely wasn't instructed to say that. Uh, he just came up with that. He just gets the vibe of Sporting Woods. Um, it's Tim here. We are episode 181. Uh, Luke has OD'd on ketamine. Michael unavailable for this episode as well. So we're coming at you with a solo episode. Um, it is the State of Origin Decider episode. So we couldn't let one slip. Um, yeah, I mean, it's going to be a bloodbath anyway, but we'll get into that a little bit later. Um, let's get straight into it with some good, bad, ugly, sponsored by Sporting Woods Simulated Online Cricket. The good, I hate to do it, but uh, they were pretty good uh, on Sunday afternoon. It was the Brisbane Broncos. They get the win despite the Origin Stars being out. It's not necessarily the baby Broncos that we're used to, um, but there's enough outs. Um, you know, particularly Corey Oates getting um, brought into camp late and all that sort of stuff. Um, and against the Dragons team that... Um, you know, they're on the cusp, uh, of the eight and they were, I mean, that, that's a game that they really needed to win. Um, may not have been the Ricky Stewart had to win game of the week, but, um, pretty damn close. Um, I think it was helped a little bit by a, a couple of controversial decisions. First one being the welfare check, Tarek Sims, two sim bins in one game. Um, again, kind of ironic because the first, First sin bin shouldn't have been a sin bin, and then the second sin bin should have been a send off. Um, he, I think, like yes, it was late, but again, he committed to the tackle before the ball had left his hands. So, I, I again, I don't understand how we're supposed to get around that rule. Now, there's, there's late hits, and then there's what Tarek Sims did. I don't, I don't think it was necessarily like a late hit, a deliberate hit. There was obviously a plan. Um, to attack um, the ribs of Reynolds. And if he was going to take it to the line, he was going to get hit. But I don't necessarily think that that was late because, again, he committed to the tackle before he let go of the ball, um, which to me does not signify a late hit. Um, for me, the McCulloch um, shoulder or elbow to the head um, after the kick uh, was more uh fitting of a sinbin than the first Tarek uh sinbin. The the second sinbin is just direct contact of shoulder to the face um with no attempt to make the tackle. So uh yeah, it, it was kind of ironic that it was like a a square up kind of, but also not really. And then you know, get your tinfoil hats on um about, you know, the Dragons having a little bit of karma for uh, what happened the week before. Um, so, you know, contextual refereeing um, or get your conspiracy theories out there it was, yeah, it was a bit strange. But again, St. George looked poor. They, uh, particularly in the second half, but I think they just ran out of legs, which is, yeah, again, funny because that's what we say about the Broncos when they need to show one iota of resilience, they crumble in a heap. So, 
Yeah, it, it, look, I Broncos have now solidified their spot in the finals. I, I think. Um, oh yeah, good on you, you wanker. I've got the laptop going as well, so we'll get random shit because I had to make a makeshift soundboard as well. So, um, yeah, I hope you all appreciate that. Um, but yeah, I think the Broncos have you know solidified their spot as a finals uh, in uh, solidified their spot in the finals. I should say so. Um, with that win and the Dragons are now on the outside looking in pretty much, I think. So yeah, it's funny how it all just kind of works out like that based on a couple of karma referee decisions, allegedly. Uh, the bad, well, this is almost like a petty moment of the week, petty moment of the year nomination. Um, Tim Sheens is going to out Gus Gus Gould. Uh, he has put his hand up uh, to coach the Tigers um, after performing, after coming in as the general manager of football, so like the Gus Gould of the Tigers, you know, uh, obviously former premiership winning coach with the Tigers, one of the greatest coaches in the history of rugby league. Um, unceremoniously sacked after the 2012 season where the West Tigers were premiership favorites and finished 12th. Um so, you know, that goes to show you, you know, and that was the last game he coached in the NRL. Um, performed a mid-season review, which ended up sacking Maguire, and then no one wants to coach the Tigers, so he's decided to uh, coach the team. Um, and that's still an allegation as, as they sort of work things out. But it's kind of funny that, you know, you're hired to do a review and then go, oh, you know, the best option is actually me to coach it's like are you are we fucking serious like i understand like there's two schools of thought the first one being do the tigers just jump on whatever coach is willing to take them despite the fact that it may not be the best fit and we could just be doing this rolling coach carousel like we always do um or do you go down the path of like having sheens and then looking to develop benji and robbie as potential coaches moving forward and 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 develop them that way what better coach you know arguably is there a better coach to learn off of than tim sheens um with all his success well maybe outside of uncle wayne probably not um but again has the game gone past him in terms of the nrl like it's been you know over 10 years since he's coached you know there's totally different thing totally different um style um, that the game is played in now. Um, how would that translate if he was a full-time coach? But in all honesty, after that game against Parramatta, yes, we got dudded with a bad Sinbin, and that's totally fine. But, like, dead set, can we just sack an interim coach? Like, I don't understand what we're doing. Like, the whole point isn't, like, what? Like honestly, what are we doing? And I hate to bring Lee Brooks up as a fall guy because I, I just feel so sorry for him. He, he's trying his guts out, and he's never not tried. Um, but he's just—he just continues to fail in in situations where he needs to step up. And there was a attacking um, point in the game. I think we had a couple of repeat sets, and I think we had like sixteen tackles or something in a row. You know, um, attacking the line, and Adam Dewey touched the ball once. Now he's supposed to be our best player. Um, you know. Yes, he's recovering from an ACL. Yes, he's in the centers. But, like, come on, mate. Get your hands on the ball. Like, yeah, I just... The whole game plan, the selections, like, they're going... We're saying we need to look um, for one eye in the future and then don't pick Jake Simpkins, the 20-year-old um, that we poached from Brisbane who's supposed to be really, really good. And I rate him. And we put in New Brown, who's played, you know, two games in five years because of all his injuries. Like, he's getting first preference over the guy that we're supposed to be looking towards the future for. Like, I just don't understand what's going on there. So, um, yeah, we might be the first club in history to fucking sack an interim coach um, after sacking the coach in the same season. So... Wouldn't that be just peak Tigers? Like, I like I almost want them to sack Kamali, be like just because, like, like how pathetic is that? But anyway, um, the ugly. Well, this is this is really ugly, but it's also time uh, for one of our favorite segments. It's time for some bandwagon batter. <laughs> this is great banter. It really is. We need to get that one for the soundboard, actually, for Bandwagon Batter. Uh, if you're listening, Michael, I'm sure he doesn't listen. He just edits it at the end. Um, Brisbane Lions, 22 players out 
or up to 22 players out, I should say, with COVID, illness, or injury. Uh, they lose to the lowly Bombers at home. Um, but they put up a pretty good fight for a team that's lost um, half or three quarters of their playing roster to uh, you know injuries and COVID over the last week. So the problem for them is... And we said this a couple of times over the course of the season that, you know, they really struggled to win against the top four teams. Um, that's kind of their their downfall in the Chris Fagan era. Um, but then uh, if they start losing these games, you know, it could really be costly if they fall out of the top four and then, you know, they're on the outside looking in uh, for that second chance and, and the home field advantage and all that sort of stuff. So um, really important that they don't lose too many games. I think they'll be safe, but you know, if, if it's going to be this rolling thing for the next three to four weeks, it could really mess up their season um, when you're supposed to be building momentum for the finals. So just something to look out for, for all you bandwagon fans out there. But um, a loss to the bombers is hard to, uh, is a hard pill to swallow um, regardless of who was playing in the team or not. Um, Olympic team of the week. We don't have the music, and I'm not going to sing it. Um, but it's the Melbourne Storm, and it's it's rare that we get to have the Melbourne Storm um, as our Olympic team of the week. Um, but honestly, I I can't remember a game that Melbourne just plain and simple didn't show up, and there's no excuse. Sure, Pappenhausen's coming back from an injury. They've lost all their origin stars. It's a Thursday night game in Cronulla. Blah, 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 blah. There's still enough talent on that team to be competitive, if not win that game. Um, A Craig Bellamy coach side doesn't put that performance up. I think the loss of Coates, the loss of Remus Smith, the loss of Christian Welsh to long-term injuries over the course of the season has really played its part. Harry Grant hasn't been fit for a lot of the season so far as well. Um, and the the big one for me that I think is, I don't want to say it's getting lost, but it's something that needs to be addressed. And it got highlighted with his three-game suspension for calling the referee a cheat. It's Brandon Smith. Um I'll post this question to the listeners. Is Brandon Smith the myth? Is he the new Tavita Pengai? Is he the new David Fafita? Um, Brandon Smith, the myth. Um, I mean, it's starting to look that way with some of his performance recently. It's, But again, at the same time, is Bellamy using, utilizing him to the best of Brandon Smith's ability? Probably not because he's not going to be there next year. And so when he goes over to the Chooks, um, you know, are they going to put him at, um, I, I would assume they would put him at starting hooker. So, you know, that's a different body type and a different role in the team. He's kind of playing this hybrid role. But again, I go back to the fact that this is a Craig Bellamy coach team. Talent usually wins out, um, but it's just not happening at the moment. And yeah, is it, is it, oh shit. Is it because that Brandon Smith is being used as, you know, a gap stop knowing that he won't be there next year. I don't know, but yeah, it's an interesting little tidbit on, on, on the storm season. Cause we haven't really seen them like struggle and like, obviously they're like second or third or whatever. So like everyone needs to relax. Um, but yeah, I don't know. Is, is the benefit of the doubt starting to kind of wave, um, on the Melbourne Storm, and I put, you know, the the whole Munster contract negotiation issue as well. Like, if he doesn't stick around as well, like, is is this the end of that Melbourne dominance? Like, we say, how many times have we said that over the last five or six years? Like, when Slater goes and Cronk goes and Smith goes, you think that that's it, that's it. That Greg Inglis when he left, everyone's saying that's going to be it. The salary cap, you know, like we've been saying this for like what. 12, 13 years about the Melbourne Storm, but they they keep showing up. Their recruitment, their talent scouting is literally second to none in the NRL. Um, They pick up these guys before anyone even knows they exist. They've been doing it from day dot, so it's hard to it's hard to go away from giving them the benefit of the doubt, but that performance on Thursday night was nothing short of horrendous, Um, and. Could be the worst, like one of, if not the worst, of Craig Bellamy's coaching career. Um, big call, I understand. He's been a coach for twenty years, but 
Yeah, I mean, that was, they literally did not show up. And it was very obvious that they were never going to win that game um, very early on in the piece. Um, so let's move to our next soundboard segment. Oh, come on. Come on. That's ridiculous. That's ridiculous. There's got to be an investigation into this. This has got to be, someone's got to be accountable for this. Thank you, Tooves. It's the, there's got to be an investigation of the week. And again, I, I, I really hate giving NRL 360 any more oxygen than we already do on this podcast, but Paul Kent's immediate backflip on the performance of the referees this year, um, like, I almost fucking fainted when I started hearing him defend the referees um, on NRL 360 on on um, Monday night. I, cu- I couldn't believe what, uh, what I was listening to. But again, I do agree with the sentiment that you know, he was going on last week about how they're being robots and they're not, you know, doing all of this. They're not, you know, taking in the contextual parts of the game as we saw with the the Ben Hunt six again twice in a row, um, all of that sort of stuff. And then comes out on Monday and says, oh, oh the, you know, they do such a hard job and it's it's so difficult for them and blah, blah, blah. And they've actually been doing a better job than the media is letting them, uh, you know, letting everyone know. And it's like... You're the guy, like, last week you were the guy that was blowing up about it, and now you're defending them? Like, what the fuck is that? Like, is Uncle fucking Rupert gotten in your ear and giving you extra, like, 100k to shot? Has Captain Rugby League given you fucking uh, shares on, in Nature Strip for the fucking Everest so you can shut up and actually talk something positive about the game? Like... Dead set. And the other thing, like, while I'm fucking at it, let's let's just fucking go there. Still carrying on about how, like, there's no build-up for Origin and it's just all it's all too nice and blah, 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 this and that. And he's like, oh, no one will watch it. It's like, mate, all three games have been sold out. All of them have been near record numbers. Like, what else can there be? And he's like, oh, you won't. And then, you know, the the argument is the quality of the games will, will bring the people in like it did in the first one to watch the second game. Um, and now it's a decider in Brisbane and, and all of that sort of stuff and the build-up Munster won't be there and blah, blah, blah. Like, there's enough drama there. But the media are just like, again, this goes back to low-hanging fruit and lazy journalism of, like, they want someone to say one thing so that they can fucking build a whole week around it. And the, and the, the teams are smart enough to not do that anymore. Um, and it all goes back to the fucking Bulldog Richie, the journalist him fucking self, who said it was the worst origin team in the history of rugby league. And ever since then, it hasn't fucking, no one's done anything. So it's hilarious that they're like blaming the players for not like giving the media anything to go off of because the fucking media ruined it themselves, you fucking dumb cunts. Like, ah, oh, it just absolutely shits me to tears. But, um,. I mean, what a perfect segue to move straight into the State of Origin preview. Um, Decider in Brisbane, um, New South Wales completely dominant in Game 2. Queensland just tackled their little hearts out for 55 minutes and then that was it. It was all over from there and the floodgates opened. And, you know, when when the game's that fast at that high quality with such, you know, high quality players in the opposition, um, you know, they, they were never going to win that game with the amount of possession that um, New South Wales had and the amount of tackling that Queensland had to do um, in the first half. Obviously, big news. Um, Munster's out. Telling he's out. Tommy Dean is named at six, but that doesn't mean he'll play at six. There are a lot of a lot of people weighing in on what they should do. I was surprised we didn't see Reed Marnie come in, so we could have Ben Hunt permanently at six. Um, Harry Grant start or Reed Marnie start, and then do that one-two punch. Because um, yeah, now does the bench look a bit? Uh, or does the bench get significantly weaker now that Grant's probably going to have have to play? But then they're saying Tommy Dearden's going to start at six. Um, is it fair for him to debut in an Origin decider after we got beat by forty points? Uh, 
16 days ago, whatever it is. I don't know. Um, one idea I tossed up was um, Ponger at six, Big Val move him back, get um, Katewell into the centers, um, you know, a la 2020. Um, no, you know, and again, this goes back to Queensland getting it. Um He's done a job for us uh, in the centres before. He's also been shown up um, by New South Wales in the centres before, but that was more Latrell and Tommy rather than um, Crichton and Burton. Um, so, you know, could could he be moved out there? I don't know. So there's still a little bit of uh, foxing to go, but all reports suggest that I, I think they do want to have Dearden start at six so that Hunt can... Hunt and Grant can play that role just to strengthen up that bench and that rotation. Um, but what it does, it, it does leave um, Queensland quite vulnerable, even more so than what it was before. Um, as for the Blues, um, Jordan McLean obviously controversially ruled in and then ruled or named and then ruled out with a hamstring injury. Then there was all this uproar about uh, Regan Campbell-Gillard not getting picked, and then there was the argument that um, his rocky relationship with the Penrith Blues um, caused him to not be picked um, in this game. Um, Buzz Rothfield saying, you know, he made 95 metres in game one, but I think 75 of those were made in the last 10 minutes, uh, which they failed to bring up. Um, So... You know, he only played 36 minutes and, like, let's say, you know, and for 26, then we made fucking 20 meters. So let's all just fucking relax. I don't necessarily think it's because of the, um, the animosity between the Penrith players. There's a lot of rumors, allegations, um, that it was Nathan Cleary orchestrating that, um, he doesn't come back in. And then the game one performance and the loss kind of further justified not picking him. Um, but I, I honestly think it is because of the game one performance where he had such poor stats and only when New South Wales had all the ball that last 20 minutes. And don't forget, New South Wales had all the ball in the last 20 minutes of game one and they were one meter short of tying it up and sending it to golden point. So um, yeah, again, Queensland, you know, have spent almost a third, a third of the, you know, two games, um, just being absolutely hammered on their lines. So that takes its toll over the course of the series. And yes, they have breaks in between, but you know, it's that mental pressure and that mental psyche of, oh shit, here we go again. Um, you know, say what you want about Kafusi. At least he, you know, he's a pick and stick guy that they've stuck by. Um, changing that combination for a decider is obviously not ideal as well. So, um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of question marks um, of the makeup of the Queensland team and how that will all gel. Um, so yeah, it's been it's been an interesting um, lead into this decider um, as you know. If you've listened to more than one episode of Sporting Woods, you would know what my Game 3 prediction is. I would say New South Wales win and win well and win by 30-plus like they did in Perth. I I think the, the home field advantage will last maybe 10 minutes. Um, but again, I just think... If they again, if they're full dinkum, fair dinkum, full grown Aussies, um, they do an all time number, um, and a game that could potentially go down in origin history. Um, it's been 17 years since New South Wales won a decider in Queensland. Um, they had their opportunity against the worst origin team of all time in 2020 and couldn't do it. Um, it, the the narrative is very similar to that 2020 where Queensland's completely on the ropes and New South Wales have a talent-laden team um, that is expected to do a significant number on them. But I, I just think this time there was a massive shift in the momentum of the series in Game 2 and I just don't think that while, yes, there's going to be a lot of different people for both teams and there's a lot of time between games... I still think turning around 
plus whatever points, 40 point deficit um, in 80 minutes of football is just too much. So I think New South Wales win and I think Queensland keep it close for the first half an hour and then um, like we saw in game two, the second half will be a blowout once they can't um, get through the line and, and score and try and get close to them. And I think, yeah, it'll just be too much for for the boys of Maroon in the end. Unfortunately, I mean, I can't wait to watch the game. It should be an absolute cracking atmosphere. And, and that first sort of 15, 20 minutes, it's just going to be pure adrenaline for the Queensland boys. Um, but yeah, who knows? There might be a little bit of, a little bit of a surprise, but um yeah, I, I just can't see Queensland even coming close to New South Wales in this game. Um, New South Wales by plenty. Okay, let's get into the American correspondent. Again, why not? Yeah, that's right. Slavery. Fuck yeah. It's American Correspondent very quickly. Um, I don't know what category this is, but it needs to be fucking said. It's not low-key alpha. It's fucking... It is the Benny G high-key alpha moment of the week. Uh, New York Jets quarterback and staunch Mormon, Zach Wilson, um, his ex-girlfriend has revealed that they broke up because he was sleeping with his mum's best friend. Um, and and the irony is that now Wilson's ex-girlfriend is now dating um, his former college roommate and teammate and current NFL wide receiver, Dax Milne. The internet has blown up. This guy is... I When this came out, he would have been fucking shitting bricks because of his reputation as a Mormon and, you know, all of that sort of gear and blah, 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 this and that. The internet has made this cat an all-time hero. An all-time hero. The memes have been going crazy. And don't forget, like, this guy fucking took two chicks... Um, as dates to the prom for his senior year. He's just like the coolest cat on fucking campus um, at BYU, the Mormon University. Now he's in New York just banging his mum's mates. Like, I mean, is this the life? Like, legit? Like, it's it's unbelievable. He's quarterback for the Jets, banging MILFs. Um, his ex-girlfriend's dating his best mate. Like... What a fucking story. And and everyone's just gotten behind Wilson and the memes are just crazy. So just just search Zach Wilson um, MILF memes and uh, have yourself a day. It's not low-key alpha um, because, you know, we're talking about it. But it had to be said, this guy's a fucking hero. So uh, Zach Wilson, high-key alpha moment of the week. Um Baseball All-Star Weekend's coming up, um, but other than that, not a lot to report from the American correspondent. Let's get straight into the European correspondent. Absolute tune. Meet me at the love Parade. I thought I'd switch it up with a couple of different theme songs uh, tonight or today or whenever you're listening to Sporting Woods. Um, last week's spicy matchup from Luke, Nick Kyrgios. He got the walkover against Rafael Nadal um, to make the final. Um, then comes the um, formal charges late of domestic violence against his former partner. <sighs> Pardon me. Oh, God, it's late. Um, and then still has, you know, the wherewithal to 
come out and give it a red-hot crack against uh, Novak Djokovic. Uh, takes the first set, almost took the fourth set tiebreak, um, but a valiant effort from a guy who allegedly doesn't care. So I think that was the big, big story, and a lot of the Australian media kind of wrote it up um, before the final, leading into the final, and then after the final. Obviously, his reaction when he won the when the uh, quarterfinal goes to show that, like, you know, he actually cares about the tennis, and like when he puts his mind to it, he he can care. And what the everyday punter thinks is caring versus what Nick Kyrgios thinks is caring, and like what level that is, is obviously different. Um, and no one's denying the talent of Nick Kyrgios, and in fact, everyone even in the know of, of world tennis knows that um, there's not too many people that um, have the natural talent um, in the history of tennis uh, than Nick Kyrgios. And it's just about the application and whether or not he's willing to put in the work. And as we've said many times on this podcast over the last 18 months, two years is that now that he's found his role as like the entertainer and the showman it's kind of released that pressure to, uh, perform and be well because his uh, idea of success isn't necessarily winning tournaments. It's about um, having a good time um, and making some headlines. And we saw that with the big tit as well, like just completely threw him off his game and, and like he can use it to his advantage as well. Um, but yeah, I think, I think what the last couple of weeks showed and like, obviously we're not going to talk about the allegations and the charges that have been laid. That's not for this podcast. It's probably not even for penis, 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 but, I think that he does genuinely care. And I think particularly on the grass surface, he definitely wants to do well. And I think he's got enough internal motivation to want to succeed. Um, whether or not he applies that verse understanding is, you know, or, or understanding what he thinks his role is in, in world tennis. Um, yeah, it, it's a very complex little thing because you see, you see in the press conferences and he legit just doesn't care. But I think he doesn't care about journalists. I think he cares about tennis. And I think if someone asked him a genuine question about tennis, he'd probably answer it, but no one's actually asking him those questions. So therefore it looks like he doesn't care. So then the media go on about how he doesn't care and it, and then that gets to him. And so I think you have this like vicious cycle of like, is it two faced? I don't know, but it's just, it's just so, incredibly complex and that's the type of guy he is so I think for me what what we learned from Nick Kyrgios is that he cares um, about tennis the way he goes about tennis is far different to anyone that's probably ever played tennis if you know we're being honest Um, but that doesn't mean that his way is wrong and um, the last couple of weeks have shown that and if you're going to ask him shit questions in press conference don't expect to get fucking grade A A1 answers you absolute muppets Um, so yeah, good on you, Nick. Um, and you know, asterisks obviously because you didn't face Nadal, but a Wimbledon final is a Wimbledon final. No one will take that away from you. Um, but now we'll probably all move on to the allegations that are now pending in, uh, Canberra court. Um, so yeah, that's the European correspondent. Let's get into some... Supercoach. So we had the bye week this week. And if you want some advice on trades leading into your head-to-head final series and the end of the season for um, overall, head over to um, Tuzzy J, Juzzy T, and the boys at NRL Supercoach Talk Podcast. Benny G did make an appearance uh, a couple of weeks ago. Um, so that's why he went down. It's the NRL Supercoach Talk Podcast curse. Um, let's see if he bumped his position up at all. So we got, well, we'll start with the Revolution Mendoza line, 740, getting a victory over the Mad Kens. I said Kens, 568. Low scores here for the buy. Buy was a wasteland. Uh, the Coagulators, 428, defeat Boots and Cats, 361. A bunch of hunts. I said hunts. Uh, get the respect this week. Uh, 770 against the bye week. Hashtag on the plonk. Jimmy B, 448. The worst, 17. Uh, good win there. 805 over Joey Jojo Shabadoo, 360. Um, 
FNQ Moonshiners continue this mid to late season run. 894. Big round from Jazzy T against Pig Dogs 474. Uh, the Gummy Sharks, another emphatic victory, an important win. Keeps them in contention. 8-1-3 over uh, Killer Katana, Big Swords, the stop emailing ladies, 5-83. And another big win, uh, Avalanche, again, contextually big win, 8-6-9, defeating Dogs of War, Dane O, 4-7-4. That might eliminate Big Dane O. As we go to the head-to-head ladder, a bunch of hunts. I said hunts. They're on top on 24 league points. The Revolution on 22. FNQ Moonshiners and Killer Katana both on 20 points. The Worst 17 and the Mad Kents. I said Kents on 18. Avalanche by himself there in 7th place on 16. Then the battle for 8th spot begins. The Coagulators, they are in 8th on 14 league points. 41 points uh, differential ahead of Joe Jojo Shabdu, also on 14. And Gummy Sharks, not too far behind as well, on 14 there as well. Uh, Boots and Cats, they're in um, 11th on 12 points. Dane O, there is a slither of hope, but it's slowly dying. He needs some big victories. Um, he's in 12th place on 10. The Pig Dogs are out of it. They're on six league points and hashtag on the plonk on two. As we go to the overall rank, um, there's, a, there's a huge... Uh, separation um, at the 20,000 mark, but the Revolution Mendoza line has improved. It is an overall rank of 185. Come on, Benny G, let's crack the top 100 for the end of the year. A bunch of hunts, I said hunts. Their overall rank is 5267, but look who's coming in hot. The FNQ Moonshine is 6,441. Uh, what that would be an incredible finish if they can get close to the top thousand there. Um, so let we'll follow that throughout the rest of the season uh, for Juzzy T. The Mad Kens, I said Kens, they've fallen back sixteen thousand two hundred fifty seven. Um, closely followed by Killer Katana, 16,877. And uh, rounding out the top 20,000 is the worst 17, 17,433. On the plonk, 94,298. Uh, let's get into some tipping. You can hear Chase the Sun in the background as per usual. Alright, let's get this going because I've got multiple things I'm multitasking. There we go, here we go. Alright, hashtag ride or die, two for the week, 69, two points behind Hackett, 23 on 71. Then there's a little bit of a gap. You see JT250, he's also got two. He's on 76. Then a 10-point break to the Wolverine 27 on 86. Joey Jojo, Shabadoo and Hanlam, they're on 87. Medicine underscore balls, he's all by himself in sixth place on 89. Dogs of War and Yun Sang, cousin of Sun Yang, uh, they're in at 90. Then there is a three-point gap to the sixth captain, uh, three for the week. Wins the round. No, he doesn't. There was two people that got four. Uh, He's on 93. CWA, 10% minimum wage increase. uh, One point ahead of him on 94. But leading the competition with three for the round, 96 points, it's Benny L, two-point lead. Almost stuffed it. Two-point lead. Almost stuffed it. A little bit late, but, you know, we'll take it. Come on, I'm multitasking here. I've got things going left, right, and center. All right, let's get into some sweezies. We are killing this time. How are we going for time? Oh, 38 minutes. This is brilliant. All right, let's get into some sweezies. You think you know me. Day. BD history. 
Moment in BDE history, I've gone, I haven't necessarily gone for on this day, I've gone contextually for moment in BDE history for a moment in state of origin decider history. July 6, 2005, Andrew Johns puts on a masterclass as New South Wales win the decider against Queensland at Suncorp Stadium. It was the aforementioned last time New South Wales won a decider in Brisbane. Um, famously came back from an injury uh, for game two. Um, and then I think New South Wales were up 32-0 at halftime in game three or 22-0 at halftime. Like the game is over at halftime. Um, game three just completely sucked the life out of the Brisbane crowd. Um and also, uh, coincidentally, the last time New South Wales won a decider in Brisbane, the West Tigers won the Premiership. So I'm expecting the same thing to happen. And uh, wouldn't that be something that like eight teams get done for salary cap breaches and the West Tigers just like coast in to fucking get the Premiership? That's the only way we're even going to get close to winning it this year. Um, but hey, Tim Sheens is going to figure it out for us. Sure. But wait, is that a moment in Limptic Energy's theme music? Limptic Energy, Limptic Energy, Limptic Energy. Limptic Energy moment in history. Arguably the limpesticest moment in the history of sports. We've mentioned this. I'm sure we did this last year, and I'm sure we've said this multiple times throughout the course of the 181 episodes. July 8, 2014, Benny G woke me. He texted me at 5.30. He said, you need to get out of bed and watch this game, and that he's never texted me that for a soccer game ever. Brazil. Brazil lose 7-1 in the World Cup semi-final, 5-0 at halftime. Brazil scored their one goal in the 90th minute. I I'm I went we were reminded this this week cuz it did pop up. And I went back and watched the highlights and you're just like this country literally ruined themselves. Like not the not the Brazil soccer team, like literally the country of Brazil put themselves into financial ruin by hosting the World Cup and the Rio Olympics in 2014-2016 just so they could win the World Cup at home and then lose 7-1 in the semi. And you, both teams went undefeated throughout group stage and obviously, you know, it's single-game elimination from there. 7-1? 7-1. Like, they ruined their country for 7-1? still like we're like eight years removed from it and it just still beggars belief at like how that could ever ever happen ever moment in Olympic energy history all right one point now look it was a bit a bit weird for bde this week because we obviously had the bye week not a lot international sport happening either besides the um Tennis, obviously there's Tour de France going on. Obviously there's some rugby union, but we're not going to talk about that because it's not even worth mentioning. Uh, one point, Latrell Mitchell. Controversial, I understand. Um, bit of backlash about his um, conduct and behavior um, in the game against the Knights. Ooh. Oh, pardon me. Latrell's putting me to sleep. Um, but... It was. His, I, th- I think it was his first time captaining South, and it, and you know, a lot of the stuff that he's been criticised for is obviously him trying to set the tone for his teammates and say we're not going to back down from this and blah 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 and this and that. Um, but again, like, is Latrell the Tommy Turbo of twenty twenty two? Like, he's come back and like, I thought he'd slimmed down, but he looks bigger than like he usually does. I mean, says me the fat piece of shit, but um. They're just a different team without uh, with it. Like they're just so like it just all looks like it clicks. Um, obviously, it's Latrell Mitchell. He's you know one of the top ten players in the NRL. Like I'm not you know like we've obviously got to give him credit for that. But like yeah, again, just his influence seems to be like out of proportion with his 
you know, input in the team or like with him being in the side, like it seems to be exponential um, what he's doing to that team, similar to what Tommy Turbo did last year. And that was a historic year, obviously, and I'm not going to compare, you know, one or two games from Latrell coming back from a hamstring injury is like what Tommy Turbo did last year. But, you know, certainly could turn the fortunes of the club this year, underperforming Cody Walker, you know, uh, young half-lock Anelius, who, you know, he's going to spend some time on the sideline, I think, with his cheekbone or whatever. Um, so you got Nick Arima in there, um, with a little bit of an experienced head there who, you know, will do a job and, you know, not, not necessarily lose games, but, you know, just not necessarily be the X Factor, but, why do you need an X Factor with when you got Luttrell there as well? So, freeze up Cody Walker. Obviously, they had a really good combination. So, um, yeah. You know, could this could the America trip be a master stroke? I mean, only time will tell. But you'd think with Luttrell in the team, they, they easily make the eight. And, you know, anything can happen from there. Uh, two points. Uh, hat-trick against the Storm, regardless of what you say, Jesse Ramian. Um yeah, it's still it's still something to be worth mentioning. Now, obviously, last week we had five tries um, as one point, and you know everything's relative. And yes, Edric scored five tries, but it was against the fucking shit cunt tig- Titans, not Tigers, um, who are you know absolutely horrendous. Sure, Melbourne were just as poor, but like you know, it's everything's relative. It's Sweezy's. We can we make it up. Who gives a fuck? Um. And three points. This week's champion, champion, everyone knows Chandamal is a champion. Yes, you wouldn't believe it, but there was a test match that's uh, been and gone since we've last spoke. Uh, Australia lose by an innings and 35 runs uh, on day four in Gaul. Um, Sri Lanka's burning to the ground. and Australia's playing fucking test cricket and, like, there's no security threats or anything like that. So um, I don't understand how that's working, but, you know, good on the Sri Lankans for looking after the Australian team while their government's in an absolute shambles. Dinesh Chandamal is the first Sri Lankan to score a double ton against Australia in test match cricket. Um, he did so at home in a f- fantastic match where they completely turned around their fortunes and, an innings victory against Australia, regardless of the scenario, is always a significant victory and and some good news uh, for Sri Lanka when everything seems to be falling apart. Um, Manus and Smudge also had good tons, um, but again, it was just the lack of those first inning runs, and and traditionally that's what you see in Sri Lanka. Not you know you you'll see it in subcontinent in general, but Sri Lanka in particular, like in India, like it'll spin from like the first fucking ball. Whereas here there was it was quite flat. Yeah, you know, or India could just build a you know a concrete road in the middle and off you go. And have a five-day snooze fest. Um, Sri Lanka, and in particular, Gaul, that it has that characteristic of really being flat early and then just capitulating on day day three. So that's why you see two. Uh, you know, you saw first innings um, totals of over 300, 350, and then Australia bowled out for like one hundred and twenty-five or whatever it was. So, um, yeah, something you know, and with this Test Championship, you know, it's important that you win on all surfaces. Um, throughout the cycle so that you can be in contention. So, yeah, that's a bit of a slip-up for the Aussies there, and particularly with those drawn test matches against um, Pakistan as well. I think we're still up towards the top, and we've got a massive... We've got a bumper home schedule as well. Uh, West Indies and South Africa coming up as, as well at home. Uh, I think we still play a test in India, um, and we play Afghanistan in India as well. So there's still opportunities, and, and, you know, it's not all doom and gloom, but... Uh, yeah, probably didn't want to drop that one in Sri Lanka, uh, particularly while everything was happening politically there. Um, and that is definitely for penis, penis, penis. But, um, yeah. Dinesh, three points. 3.1 denomination of the year, most likely. There you go. And just quickly before we wrap it up, my throat's getting really sore because I've been speaking for 47 minutes straight. Um, it is the 150th British Open... It's at the old course at St. Andrews. Uh, a little bit controversial. Greg Norman um, not invited to the Champions Dinner despite being a two-time major winner there. Um, he also applied for an exemption to play in the 150th Open. 
Um, so current exemption rules for the British Open are um, previous 10 winners get an automatic entry and also previous champions under the age of 60 um, can apply and be granted automatic exemptions to play in the British Open. Greg Norman fits none of that criteria. He applied for a special exemption given the enormity of the event um, at the home of golf. Um, but was denied, and then was also denied the um, the opportunity to appear at the uh, Champions Dinner. So uh, LIV getting shut out as well, but at the same time, I think, and I don't quote me on this, I think the LIV players are allowed to play in the British Open because um, it's not sanctioned by the PGA per se. Don't hold me to that. I haven't looked into that. Couldn't be asked looking into that. Um, but such a historic event, the 150th Open. Tiger Woods is over there. Um, I mean, how he's, like, walking is, you know, beggar's belief after the the extent of the crash that he was in. But, um, yeah, I, I think um, Xander Shoffley looks good. Um Rory um, has had some good form recently. Can he do it over there? I don't know. I, I feel like this one is going to be a, a winner of, um, in the smoky section. So um, try your mid-range there. Um, would love to see a first-time winner um, or, or Rory take it home. Um, I think that'd be the ones they want to go for. Obviously, Cam Smith, um, not an idiot. Um, so, yeah. Uh, but I just think it'll it'll be maybe the guys outside the top thirty. Uh, someone just lucks out with the weather. Remember, we saw that one a couple of years ago with uh, Phil and I want to say Henrik Stenson, where they just on day one they were like they played super early and missed all the rain and the wind, and then day two they they missed all the wind in the morning and played the last, they were like the last group or the second last group and they uh, got all the good weather and they were like eight shots ahead of everyone else, which is like unheard of at the British Open. So um, will we see something that dramatic? Probably not, but you know, the weather does play a part in, in, in this, um, in this tournament. So yeah, I, I think we'll see a smoky win who that is. I'll, you know, I can't say, but I'd like to see someone outside the top 30 just for a little spice um, for the 150th British Open. Uh, so, yeah, that'll about do it. Episode 181 in the books. Um, yeah, it's a shame that we couldn't get the boys on, but um, illness and prior commitments, um, you know. We, but we couldn't bump the Origin preview episode, and the preview is New South Wales will win by 30-plus. Um, so, you know, no surprises there. Um, but will I be surprised if Queensland win? Absolutely not, and we all know why. Um, it should be an absolute cracking atmosphere. Very jealous of anyone who is going. Um Really looking forward to that first opening 15, 20 minutes. Um, there's some origin careers on the line, particularly Josh Papali'i, Dane Gagai. Um, so, yeah, there's a lot of side stories, a lot of, um, uh, you know, matchups that are going to be very interesting selections. Uh, bench rotation is going to play a massive part as well for me. Um, in this game, if I didn't mention that already, um, so Freddie gets that pretty much on song and there's not too many HIAs. Uh, again, I see absolutely no reason why New South Wales um, can't win by 30 plus, uh, which is disappointing, but you know, they are who we thought they were or are they? Um, enjoy the game. Uh, we'll be back next week. Sporting Woods, 181 in the books. And then make like a bye. <laughs>